0: Friends, please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Spirit of the living God, speak in spite of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, whose name we pray. Amen. This morning's scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The New Testament portion of your pew Bible, page 72. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes we miss the point, don't we? We just don't get it. Here are some funny church signs, you know those large signs you'll see on church yards that I think tell about missing the point. One says in large block letters, Jesus is coming. Look busy. Another church sign said this, again, large block letters, forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. And lastly, with some irony, this was at Friendship Church. It said, all are welcome, keep off the grass. Sometimes we miss the point, don't we? And we can miss the point of this morning's parable, too. How? See, we could read this text where the Pharisee prays and says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like the others. And we can just as well pray, Well, thank you, God, that I'm not like this Pharisee. And we will be making Jesus' point and missing it all at the same time. We recoil at the words of such a prayer, so much hubris and self-exaltation all and self-righteousness. No, we're not like the Pharisee, we say instead, God, thank you. We're not like those people, those hypocrites, those self-righteous. We miss the point as we do so. You see, we want so much to not be like the Pharisee, nothing like the Pharisee, that in fact, we do feel ourselves a little better than the Pharisee, if we were honest. And in so doing, we have missed the point. You see, the Pharisees have gotten a pretty bad rap in our Christian context, so it's probably worth giving you a little background in case you've forgotten or maybe have never heard it before. Who were the Pharisees? Pharisees are actually responsible for modern Judaism as we know it, that's an important fact. They helped develop the synagogue system, which has become part and parcel of Judaism in our world. They were actually reformers in their day. They were responding to the needs of the people to worship at a temple that had been destroyed, surrounded by cultures that kept watering down their Jewish identity. They were trying to preserve the message, preserve the story, preserve the rituals. They were trying to keep the message of temple worship even when they didn't have the temple. They were trying to safeguard the Torah so that future generations would know about what God had done in liberating the Israelites from the chain of oppression in Pharaoh's Egypt. It was a way of reminding people that they had access to the presence of God and to the story of God's people, even outside the temple. This is their innovation. Synagogue, developing as gathering places where elders would rotate and itinerant preachers would come as guests and speak and interpret the Torah. And they were probably known as the better preachers of their day because they would have applied, not just in some esoteric way interpreting the Mosaic Law, but they would have applied the Mosaic Law to the everyday, to the every person. It was a challenge being a Jew in Roman-occupied Palestine and they were doing their best to preserve their culture, railing against Hellenization, that is becoming like the Greek-Roman culture of their day. They were worried about the loss that their people would experience in losing the message to all the philosophies that, and practices that ruled their day. They were fierce defenders of the Jewish faith and its identity. It's something like the migrant groups that have been studied here in the United States who are often more like the culture they left behind than the culture that remains. My own family is a case in point. I remember growing up and my father would play marimba music. For those of you who are familiar with instruments, it sounds a lot like the xylophone. It's made from a specific tree in Guatemala. This is very traditional Guatemalan music. He played it every day as often as he could when we were in the car, everywhere we went, every holiday. My dad went so far as to purchase a marimba from Guatemala, have it shipped to the United States, and he taught himself how to play it, and he tried to teach me how to play it. For any of you who know my story, I became a percussionist, not a marimba player. I remember my dad decorating, decking out his garage, which is where the marimba would be, with Guatemalan textiles, my mom making delicious Guatemalan food. I was surrounded by the stories of Guatemala and finally, after 18 years having myself been born in Plainfield, New Jersey, I got to travel to a wedding in Guatemala City, in Guatemala City where I did not hear marimba music, <laughs> nor did I really have Guatemalan food. In fact, most of my cousins were eating pancakes and listening to rock and rap. I somehow grew up more Guatemalan than my Guatemalan cousins in Guatemala City. My parents raised us this way because they were holding tight to a way of life that they knew. They didn't want us to lose those values. Here was one such value. I remember my friend coming over uh, so that we could go out and play. He'd knock on the door, my dad opened it. Is Edwin home? My dad would say, yes, and slam the door in his face. Knocking again, is Edwin home? Why, yes, and he'd close the door again. And finally, hi, is Edwin home? Ah, you know how to say hello. And so my father decided to teach my friends manners. I remember we were taught to say yes sir and yes ma'am. We came at the first asking when we were told no, that was it. These were the values, some of the many values they tried to teach us as they were surrounded with new language and a new culture and a different way of life. And so the Pharisees too are facing the challenges of a new culture, a new way of life, new languages that are challenging the roots of their foundation of faith. So we miss the point if we think this text is just about Jesus against the Pharisees. In fact, scholars have pointed out out that many of Jesus' sayings are, if not influenced by Pharisees, certainly in alignment. Jesus also challenged the centrality of the temple in Jewish culture, just like the Pharisees. Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah in a synagogue, much like Pharisees would. Jesus demanded that people fulfill the centrality of the law, just as the Pharisees were demanding the same. Perhaps their greatest difference, of course, and that led to their discourse, for that's what it was. It wasn't always just the Pharisees ganging up on him, though the Gospels do describe that. But the very fact that the Gospels have to describe that tell us that in Jesus' day, it would have been common to have debated and dialogued over matters of faith. So the Gospels have to tell us they weren't really asking. They were doing this to test him, just to show you how uncommon it was to do that. Their great difference, as we can see in their discourse, lies behind Jesus' ministry as pointing to the reason behind the rule being more important than the rule. Whereas it seems that at times some Pharisees seem to be caught up in the rule itself. But other Pharisees came to follow Jesus and believe in him. They had their own conversion experiences, so to speak. And the Pharisees cared deeply about the people just as Jesus did. In fact, they were popular amongst the common people. As we are told by historians like Josephus, they were beloved and respected. People wanted to know their opinions. They were trying to be peacekeepers in a time of violence and war. They were trying to make sense of life as Jews in Roman Palestine. So let's not be too quick to assume that all Pharisees were hypocrites, that all Pharisees were out to get Jesus. In fact we see quite the opposite. We see Jesus engaging with Pharisees, eating with them, dialoguing with them, offering them, perhaps tough, but love nonetheless. Jesus welcomes them. And so we have these collections of stories. And what we might miss is, while we are quick to judge the Pharisees, most of the hearers of Jesus' story would have been shocked that the Pharisee was not indeed justified, for he had followed all the rules. He went to the temple, he was praying, he had fasted, he gave a tenth of all his income, he was generous. This is the first shock, the first scandal of this parable, because people supported the Pharisees, respected them, as I mentioned, loved the Pharisees. So how is the Pharisee not justified? But what's the second shocker? For that, we need to get some background on tax collectors. Maybe you've heard this before. Tax collectors were people who received money, and they did so often above and beyond the contracts they were given by the Roman Empire to raise funds for highways and construction projects of all kinds. They were able to enrich themselves by collecting more monies than they should, and everyone knew the game they played. It was a corrupt one. But what made it worse was that these tax collectors were Jewish. That means the average Jewish person of his or her day saw this tax collector not just as a tax person who no one likes even in our own days, am I right? But that they were betraying their own people. They were co-conspiring with the Roman Empire to take more than they should by ways of corruption. Now maybe in a funny way, a way of thinking about this, think about the deepest betrayal one could imagine, and I guess being here in Michigan at Kirk in the Hills, it would be like Jim Harbaugh going to the Buckeyes and then showing up to the big house expecting to be honored. Can you imagine that? I'll let that that horror story sit there for you for a moment. Or maybe closer to home, there's a contractor you've worked with for three months on a project that should have taken about just three months and has now turned into nine and remains unfinished. And now you're looking to go to court. Ouch. Maybe we're getting even closer. Maybe the closest thing we have to a modern-day equivalent are the people who procure wealth through extortion and, and intimidating others, maybe even with ties to organized crime. Now you get the picture of the tax collector. Jesus says, this man is justified? That is scandalous. Why would he be justified? Pharisee? follows the rules but isn't justified, the, the, the tax collector in the prayer we have doesn't even ask to be changed, doesn't offer to give away all his wealth, Does, isn't really a model of repentance. It's a very simple prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Lest we miss the point, this prayer is about contempt. The contempt we have toward others. Others who we believe don't deserve to be called Christians. In fact, we have a name for them so-called Christians. We scoff at them calling themselves such, or let's be honest, we have felt embarrassed. I'm not associated with those Christians, not with that church. And you've probably heard all the jokes. I remember being told a joke about Methodists. Methodists are just Baptists who can read, I was told. It's not quite fair. Ouch. Trust me, I've been there. I've read the news. I've heard about it in others. Can you believe what the pastor said? Can you believe what this so-called Christian did? It stirs me. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel secondhand embarrassment to be associated with those people who call themselves Christian. But in Jesus' imagining of our world... That so-called Christian is in need of as much grace as I am. The parables are a reminder. Am I not more like the Pharisee in this story who says, thank you, God, that I'm not like that Christian over there? Thank God I'm not like the person who says they're holy and so righteous and they're so Puritan, In this parable, it is Jesus who is judging. The judgment power and authority is not given to us. We are not supposed to be the judge and jury, but it's so hard. It's so hard to let Jesus be the judge when all we want deep down inside is to be right. I remember before I got married, I received some sound and sage advice. Edwin, you got to decide, do you want to be right or do you want to be married?" (laughs) Now that I'm married, I fully understand what they meant. If you spend all your time trying to be right, your relationships will not last long. You'll be tempted to say something much like the prayer of this Pharisee, though they're different words, they're the famous or infamous. I told you so, I had already said that if you remember. You want to be, no, not you, we, me, all of us, we want to be so right that we sacrifice relationship. So many of our disagreements I realize, whether it's among friends or spouses or co-workers or colleagues of all kinds, so many of those disagreements are about us wanting to be proved right. If they can only see that I was right, so hard not to say I told you so, so hard to hold back our judgment and condemnation of others to make ourselves, let's be honest, feel a little better. Yeah, we sometimes make mistakes, but not a mistake like that. No, not me. A little hard, isn't it? to not think that we are in fact better than others. We don't say it, certainly not out loud. Maybe that's what we think the problem with the Pharisee is. He's saying what we think out loud. Maybe we don't fast twice a week or give a 10th of all of our income, but we volunteer. We show up to church, we read the scripture. We're pretty upstanding citizens, we think. Not like those others. They don't get the rules like we do. They aren't as cultured as we are. They don't have the same education, the same background and experience. They're not as committed to faith as we are. It is so hard to withhold our judgment. And yet that's when Jesus keeps showing up, telling us and reminding us, judge not lest ye be judged. You'll be judged by the same measure that you give to others. And here's the truth that I once heard a preacher say, and I'll paraphrase. If we all took out our phones right now, we pressed, we downloaded a recorder app and we decided that it would only record us every time we used the words should, that someone should do something or that someone should have done something. If it records us every time we say we will do something, every time we made a commitment that we could gather all those recordings and if at the end of all things, it was not God judging us, but that God would instead say, I will judge you on your own terms, play the recorder. And this preacher said, we wouldn't even stand up to our own judgments. All the shoulds and the wills and the commitments we've made, we have not kept up our peace We have not kept our word. We have not always followed through. We don't always get it right. And that's just based on our shoulds, let alone the calling of God in our lives. We would be condemned if left to our own efforts, if left to our own performance. But here's the good news of this text, that we're not left to our lists of all the ways that God owes us a blessing. We're We're not left with all the ways that we extol our performance and efforts, our perfectionism, the ways that we're model citizens. We're not left to our own devices. We are still offered God through prayer. Even this Pharisee lacking complete and total self-awareness about his arrogance, we too are allowed to pray and lightning does not strike us down. We too have access to God even in our arrogance. And we fall short, yes, but the good news is that both the Pharisee and the tax collector get to pray to the same God of mercy and grace. And guess what? The parable doesn't say that the Pharisee will never be justified. The Pharisee is only showing us a mirror to ourselves and scandalizing us. That if we would only be like the tax collector, that scoundrel, The scoundrel we all judge and think we're better than, if we could only get that part, the heart, we could only say simply, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We would have no need to exalt ourselves, to live in our self righteousness, to be right all the time, to justify ourselves. We would instead be made just, we would be justified in our relationship to God. We are exalted by the love of God, bringing us out of our sin, bringing us out of our past, bringing us out of our guilt and shame. Don't miss the point of this parable, for the point of this parable is that we are all different We're all different in many ways in our contempt of others. Some of us have been the tax collector, the scoundrel. And some of us are the Pharisee lying to ourselves about our self-righteousness. Some of us think that God owes us, and some of us think we never deserve a single thing, that God would never give us forgiveness or grace, and that we don't even ask for it. The good news of this parable is that grace is extended even to us, Pharisees and tax collectors, hypocrites, thieves, rogues, adulterers, scoundrels, all of us, those who think we're self-righteous and those who think we lack any good at all. We are offered the same grace that can justify us finally in Christ Jesus through faith. This is the grace of God, the grace beyond our imagination. Friends, will we believe in this mercy when we come to God in prayer and say only simply, Lord, have mercy on us sinners? We come to this table, friends, to receive, to receive that reminder, to receive and take part in that story, to receive our portion of God's grace. Let us stop justifying ourselves. Let us stop trying to be right and better than others. Let us instead be in relationship to the one who welcomes us to this table, welcomes Pharisee and tax collector and everything in between. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.